0: My guest today here in the studio, actually it's a conference room with a very snowy New York City outside, are um, some guys who you all know um, and have been following for a long time and I'm so excited to have them both in here together, Michael Voltaggio and Brian Voltaggio. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, Brian, you and I have a little bit of history with interviews. Yeah. I
1: know nobody can see right now who's listening, but maybe they're going to see it. But I have a tattoo that we've got together, which I don't know if you've seen in a long time, right? No.
0: But I remember it quite yeah. vividly. That is there a... There it
1: is right there. But now it's been surrounded now because I, I have more children.
0: Yes. so and the
1: you- last time we we were together. Thanks so. for the call,
2: guys. I appreciate it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, if you want to so, describe exactly.
2: Yeah. together, So I it got was, a tattoo. We can, I, you.
0: You're the one flying out, man.
1: <laughs> so it was Hand of Glory, right? Yes. Where I got it. And I, I can't remember who the artist's name was. I'm oh. sorry. Yeah. Well, I'm trying
0: to remember if that was that's, Sideshow Jen. Yeah, that's where we <laughs> got
1: it. Um, so it's a pig because my son was born in a year of the pig, and his name is Thatcher. And um, since then, I had more children. So I have Piper on this arm because I continued with the theme. Mm-hmm and I have a snake here forever who was born in the year of the snake. Oh. So
2: you have it there forever.
1: Yeah, and forever, yes, <laughs> and it'll, for it'll be there, yes, ever. for I have, sure.
0: I got a marrow scoop up my Osso buco right. bone uh, mm-hmm. that day, and then my former colleague um, Sarah LaTrent got a strawberry on her stomach. I think that's her sort of first and only, and then you've got a whole gorgeous wealth of— Yeah,
2: we don't have enough time for me to tell my stories on all that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but is there one in particular you want to mention?
2: There's a food-related one, uh, for sure. There's a grilled cheese sandwich with sunglasses on the back of my arm, And I arrived in Portland for a feast one year, and Tillamook had put a phone in my room that said, this is a telephone. Anywhere you are in the city, we'll bring you grilled cheese sandwiches at any time of the night. I said, if this is true, I will get a tattoo of grilled cheese on the back of my arm. So I proceeded to – now, this is going to sound weird, so I'll preface preface this by saying, like, it's culturally and socially acceptable. In Portland, everyone goes out to – what do you call them? Bars with dancers men oh, and women go yes. out together it's and like they're
0: vegan ones it's the,
2: that's the bar culture there right mm-hmm. so my uh we we were um bringing grilled cheese sandwiches to everyone in the bars and so all night long everywhere we were we were giving grilled cheese sandwiches out and sure enough they lived up to it and i got one tattooed on the back of my room.
0: that is lovely and what's not to love about somebody who brings you a grilled cheese
2: Showing up to a bar crowded full of drunk people with bags of grilled cheese sandwiches. We made so many friends that night. It was ridiculous.
0: (laughs) And I know in Portland, too, other things are legal that are not in other parts of of the country, too. So imagine there might have been people especially glad to see. True that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but y'all make people happy with food Mm -hmm. Um, on the regular. You're doing it together. So um, I want to talk about... uh, growing up together and they both deciding to be chefs. The word that I kept running across when you were um, talking about your childhood was ran amok which is you know sort of weird thing but I saw it in several different things the impression that I had gotten um, I got to know you two on uh, Top Chef I saw both of you on there Mm -hmm. and you both spoke so lovingly of your mother and how as a single mother she kept you both you know fed and and cared for and all that but did you start cooking uh, for yourselves at some point during that?
2: Yeah I mean there was a transition period every every kid has their story you know ours is uh, probably a little bit more extreme than most and I'm not Gonna go too deep into the details of that, but there were certainly opportunities for us to um, be creative at home with ingredients that were in the in the cabinet, i.e., you know, bags of ramen or um, you know, some bologna and some cheese. And I think one thing, one one distinct food memory that I have was at I don't know age 11 or 12 deciding again how to like put together the perfect bologna and cheese sandwich and it was about toasting the bread and then putting the mustard on the bologna side because in my mind at that age I thought well mustard goes better with the bologna part and then putting the mayonnaise on the cheese side because the cheese and the mayonnaise went better together and then when you put the sandwich together and you bit it texture of the toast with the meat being on the right side with the mustard and the cheese being on the right side with the mayonnaise that was something like at a very young age I know that today that's just a bologna and cheese sandwich but to me I'm like try this and when my friends came over they were always just like why is this so good and it was about the architecture of the sandwich then you evolved to how to take top ramen and mix other things into it you know make it leave the uh, pour the water out and then put the flavoring package into the noodles and mix all that together throw a pat of butter in there and then all of a sudden you're like wait i wonder if i can crack an egg in there and all of a sudden you've got like these this dish that again at the age of 11 or 12 13 years old I don't know that a lot of kids have thoughts like that, and so that's that's what was happening to me anyway.
0: Yeah, and how mm-hmm. about for you, Brian?
2: Um, well, at that age, I was,
1: well, when he was 13, I was 15. So that means I was already cooking. So I was yes. already in a, in a You got a really early start. Yeah, so it was only, um, it we're only two years apart, and I started working at a local hotel um, because I wanted to have, Money. The so. He's trying to make it sound yeah. glamorous. <laughs> no, well, yeah. At right. the
2: hotel and, and got Brian a job at the mm-hmm. Yeah, hey, so I, I started. Cooking.
1: But, I, but I started as a busboy at first, and mm-hmm. I was running room service and clearing tables. And, you know, at 14 years old, you're like, oh, gross. I'm like clearing somebody's plates. Like, I'd rather do something more fun. And I saw knives, fire cussing, you know, clanging pans, like the whole nine yards in the kitchen, like, you know, it, you know, it was, it was different back then because the kitchen was closed, but it was fun and it looked like it was a lot more fun what I was doing. So I asked the chef, I was like, look, if I take this culinary program in school, will you let me cook in the kitchen? And he gave me a shot. So that's where I kind of started cooking. And there. I got a
2: job there too. And Brian was my boss. I yeah.
0: That, so was that the first well, time you two first, worked together?
2: It was. I was busboy. I followed the same footsteps as Brian. And then one day it was a Saturday. They were like, why don't you come in and work in the kitchen for Sunday brunch? Uh, little did I know that him and the other sous chef that made that decision were both off the next yeah. day, and the executive chef was the one there, and they didn't tell him about that. So I showed up dressed in a chef uniform the next day, and the guy looks at me and goes, "What the fuck is this Halloween?" Because I'm wearing a chef in his mind costume at the time because I wasn't supposed to be dressed like a chef. They then proceeded to go with that theme, and I remember one. I think it was a thing. It was a Thanksgiving brunch. I my job was to run the food back and forth to the buffet line with the prisoners <laughs> that were on the work release program from the jail that was local. And so they decided (laughs) to dress us up as a pilgrim and an Indian. And I had to wear a costume running food back and forth on the, on the buffet. They thought that shit was funny too. So, uh, things have changed since. Um, we then, uh, immediately after that, got in a little fist fight one day at home because one day at work he started yelling at me. And the food and beverage director drags me in the office and is like, I don't care what it is at home, but at work, Brian's the boss and what he says goes. And so what I did when Brian came home one day, he walked through the front door. I'm like, I don't care what happens at work, but at home. and then, Yep. And then he kicks my ass. So we... We learned I learned not to mess with Brian in that way anymore. So Um. (laughs) it's not that bad. Come on. So yes, he's who's the bully? It's Brian. If I'm anyone, not a bully. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the way, Top yeah. Chef, there's a lot of editing, so Brian, Brian was...
1: Brian uh, no, was no, 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 <laughs> no. I, I clearly remember a plastic wrap issue, but whatever.
0: Well, let's talk for a second, though, about sort of finding that right place in the kitchen when mm. maybe, you know, so there's not as much structure in other parts of your life. I, you know, I talk to a lot of chefs about mental health, about physical health, mm-hmm. about all this kind of stuff, and the refrain that I hear over and over is that for people who maybe are... It's fine if people are not, uh, you know, in a desk job suited for that. If they have different kind of hours, if they have different kind of feelings, if they have different kinds of drives and impulses and wants and all that, and it's not judged in the same way in the kitchen, and there seems to be a, you know, a rhythm in a home there. Um, tell y- me about what Yeah, it-
1: I would say, you know, our early experience working in a kitchen, at least for me, for sure. I mean, I, I you know, I was in this culinary program of school, so I was out by like 11 or 12 o'clock in the middle of the day, and so I would go to work, do my homework you know, at work and then start cooking at two Mm o'clock and I work from two to 10. And so I think it provided a lot of structure, um, you know, for me growing up, you know, having, there'd be structure in my life and working almost a full-time job while going to high school um, kept me from, you know, that earlier turn running, running amok (laughs) and and, and getting in trouble. I saw that in like two
0: different things and I was like, that doesn't seem fair. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't know why, I mean, maybe like that structure and that family sort of Mm -hmm. environment that was created in the kitchen, you know, just helped shape me as, you know, what I would wanted to do as a career. And Mm -hmm. I I think I kind of fell in love with it and got it you know, not necessarily trapped. I fell in love with working in the kitchen because of it.
2: I think there's another side of that story too, though, because a lot of times I think a lot of chefs use, you know, the kitchen saved me and stuff like that, and I definitely believe that there's some truth to that, but a lot of times too is I think a lot of the, you know, sort of substance abuse and Mm -hmm. things that have come with with our industry, with the territory, happened because we were working in the kitchen too. So I I think in a lot of cases it definitely saved a lot of people, provided us with a lot of structure, but it also introduced us to a lot of stuff that, um, you know, maybe – going in a more traditional path on a more traditional path or trajectory wouldn't have led us to certain things that we ended up getting involved in too so I mean I was definitely a punk kid and I definitely got in my fair share of trouble but I didn't stop getting in trouble because I worked in the kitchen I Mm -hmm. think I got more actually yeah
0: I always say it's a chicken and egg sort of thing because it's it, it, it exacerbates uh some and rewards some not super healthy behavior um there is, uh, there was an essay that this wonderful chef Greg Baker wrote for Communal Table and, on Food and Wine called the Empty Hour, and he talked about that that time between service and when you're trying to wind down, and all those sort of reasonable people in your life are who would tell you like just come home and go to bed or or you don't. Do well, that there's that, that, that but day. there's
2: also the fact that like when you're working in a restaurant and you're 15, 16, 17 mm-hmm. years old, you didn't need a fake ID to go out and drink or anything like that anymore. It was there, like it was like you know somebody poured in a paper cup and handed it to you, and during service at that young young age before you find the serious part and I think that's where the career sort of saves you when you make the transition from just working in the food service industry to working at the highest level of the food service industry and I think that's where the professionalism that's where the lifestyle change happens and that's where you become a better person. I remember when I started working at the Greenbrier, I'm like, what is this? And then I left there and went to like work at the Ritz-Carlton and I'm like, wait a second, Ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen, and I have to shave and, like, all this sort of stuff, and then all of a sudden, you're molded as a human and not just as, a, as an employee. And then, you know, obviously, we worked for Charlie yeah. Palmer, Jose Andres, and mm-hmm. the list of chefs that we were fortunate enough to work with. And,
0: it,
2: yeah, that's when your career started saving us, saving you, I and guess. that
1: transition happened for us at the same exact time. Literally the day that, because Michael and I were living together in Frederick, in a house, you know, we had a bunch of friends living with us. You know, at that time, at some point, you know, there's a fire lit under us that we're going to make a career out of this. Mm-hmm. I went enrolled and went to the Culinary Institute of America, and Michael went down and took, a, you know, a really intense um, apprenticeship program at the Greenbrier. So that structure then continued to get better. It started putting us on this professional path of, of being a cook and a chef. And it changed it from being just us being punk kids in a kitchen you know, kind of learning how to cook, but not really sure what we're going to do with it. That then gave us a pathway to where we were going to build something out of it. We this. didn't start in the
2: glamour, like we didn't start in the glamour on the like we we were cooking old. because we needed to make money to mm-hmm. survive and live. and so we took we did whatever we had to do to pay rent to i mean i moved out of my house when i was 16 years old i was brian got a job in pennsylvania i took over brian's apartment while i was still in high school playing football and working full time like i had to like make money to live to buy food to buy clothes to to pay his rent because he was under a lease and so i wanted and so yeah these are these are the, like we did it to survive back yeah. then and then realized that we were already what we were going to be when we grow up at a very young age
0: how did you make it through because there are a lot of people who take that path and they burn out they die they crash out something what happened for you two where this has been a sustainable thing
2: for me i had children when i was 20 i got pregnant at 20 child at 21 so Mm -hmm. i mean i have a daughter who's now in her second year of college like i you know i didn't have a choice it was either when you're responsible for another life then I think your perspective changes and you start to realize that there's more than just you that you have to worry about. And so you, I was making $11 an hour at the Greenbrier in West Virginia when, my da- when I became a father. Um, I, I needed to figure out how to get through that. Uh, and, and, yeah, I mean, when you don't have a choice, it's a lot easier, actually. I know it sounds like it should be harder, but when you don't have a choice, you just have to put your head down and do it.
0: And how about for you?
1: I think for me, is I ended up marrying my high school sweetheart, who, you know, does our first date was the prom. And, oh. you know, we moved to New York together. And, and you know, she was the one who pushed me to go to school. I mean, there's a lot of influence I mean, Even Michael was like, yeah, go. You got the opportunity. I mean, everybody was kind of behind it. But, um, you know, it's – I think she was the one who kind of kept me grounded. She wasn't um, – she was outside of the business yeah, she man, was in design know
2: that you were delivering pizzas and driving to the city on the weekends to stage in new york because you couldn't yeah. afford to yeah. be at, at culinary institute of america that is a, oh i almost incredible. didn't finish
1: yeah i almost didn't finish school I, I didn't have enough money to finish my last term and you know i i literally got a bill and it was seventy five hundred bucks i was like i got a hundred dollars my mm-hmm. bank account like i, I can't pay <laughs> and so somehow i got a grant um it was like one of those angel grants that happened with school culinary i guess somehow takes care of people who really want to do something with it. And, um, you know, I was already working in the city. I was working for Charlie Palmer at the time at Oriole. And oh, God. I was like, you know what? And I already was offered a job at, upon graduation. And I was like, you know what, screw it. I'll just quit school and go down there and work. I mean, I've already done what I needed to do. But I ended up finishing, and so it was great. And so those little kind of rewards, I, I think, meant something a lot to me, too, and maybe helped keep me on the right path. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, kind of sometimes forget about that. You know, that
2: you were delivering pizza.
1: And I, yeah, I worked at Domino's. was where I I, I actually, it was the first job I ever walked out on. I never, I've never quit anything in my life. Um, So what
0: was was the event that made you So I will tell you. You didn't get the
1: pizza there in 30 minutes. No, I was the (laughs) fastest delivery driver ever. I got a lot of tickets. But but, um, my point is, so, and I had a lot of regular customers that knew I'd be there quick. And so there's this one exit out of the shopping center. It was like, don't turn right on something or left or whatever. whatever and it was like my last day because I was about ready to go into graduation week and I I made the wrong turn I got pulled over and so I I, I didn't even deliver the pizza I drove back in so sorry if you're listening I didn't deliver your pizza but I drove into the back into the shopping center went back in the dominoes and like <laughs> took the hat off. It was like so, and like threw it down. It was like the Domino's hat. And like just threw it down. It was like you wore the hat. Yeah, I wore Were there the any hat. Of you in that. Hey, you know what? I was I I followed all the rules. I was like I'm gonna pay more for this ticket that I just got than I'm gonna make today. I quit and I and I left. And I it was the only time I've ever done it in my life. So I'm sorry, you know, for that person who was running that shop, but. Yeah. Was
0: this up in Hyde Park where it was you in were delivering? Hyde Park. Okay, yeah. 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 I, we won't
1: get too specific because I don't want we'll to get down to the location. Yes, <laughs> it was in Hyde Park here, but I specifically worked south of Hyde Park because so I didn't deliver the culinary. Oh, yeah.
0: and was that deliberate because you didn't want to see people? Well, I mean, that, see uh, what? I it's pizza. I mean, yeah. it wasn't that big no, of a true. deal.
1: But yes, I had a lot of friends, and I want them to like right. mess with me, like order pizza and like not, pick yeah, you know what I mean, sense. that kind of
0: stuff. I uh, w- I was. Uh, in New Paltz around that time yeah, you too were, yeah. so yeah it was sort of familiar with the area If um, yeah. we go back to Ariel for a second because mm-hmm. for a long stretch of time especially in the mid to late 90s that was my favorite restaurant in the world mm-hmm. and uh, when were you there
1: I was there between 96 and 2003
0: I definitely ate your food I remember writing a review well, it wouldn't been mine it wouldn't well True, but and, you might yeah. have. Uh, yes yeah, so <laughs> I had a hand
1: in it for sure I I'd just helped cook
0: one of the first restaurant reviews I ever wrote really? was for for city search and it was a love letter to Ariel. Awesome. I was so obsessed. And at the time I had, uh, I don't know if I've grown out of it or not, but I had a scallop allergy so I could never have a potato sandwich. Yeah. yeah. So I could never have that. But I just, I love the townhouse because I felt mm-hmm. like if you walked in there, everybody looked beautiful in that light. Yeah. It was one of the first places that made me feel like a, a grown-up. And I've heard about that kitchen. Cause I know, um, Chef Brian Caswell had told me about mm-hmm. being in there and he's a super tall dude. And neither of you were short at all. And like having to sort of negotiate yeah. that physical space.
1: It was, uh, it was a tough kitchen. To work in but a really rewarding one I mean that's where I learned to cook you know at that level and you know working for Charlie was was fantastic there I mean it, it was an iconic restaurant and you know still Charlie. Charlie
2: became family to Brian yeah. and to for that matter both of us you know I was having some trouble yeah. at a different job and uh, I called I called Brian and Charlie you know offered me a job in California and relocated me out there and gave me like a fresh start and stuff like that so it was Charlie's Charlie's definitely family he's a good guy um, but he is also he yeah taught us some work ethic for sure. <laughs> like, I mean, I
0: love those restaurants. I the the Oriole in Las Vegas is the grandest, strangest place with with on bungees and mm-hmm. you know it's a very precise like. Well, he was place. one of the
2: first chefs that, that really pioneered in the Vegas. Yeah, it's still there, um, and, and you know did one of those sort of management style deals, which I think um, you know Brian and I are doing one now with Conrad. Mm-hmm. It's coming back full circle. I think that. Those type of deals are going to sort of save this restaurant crisis that I think we're facing mm-hmm. due to the uh, economics of, of running and operating a restaurant today. I mean, the cost of goods, the cost of labor, the cost of occupancy, everything's gone through the roof, and the formula just doesn't make sense anymore because the cost of food on menus, the cost of menus aren't isn't going up. And so um, Charlie sort yeah, of so pioneered that, that back in the day, and that Vegas model, I think, is going to be one that's going to keep a lot of great restaurants around. So I that menu
1: you reviewed back in the 1990s, that price point really hasn't changed. Yeah. I mean, not not I, dramatically, for sure.
0: No, you're absolutely I, I will go back I will send you the review yeah, that no, I, 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 said, I but you're 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 absolutely right.
1: Yeah, I mean there hasn't been a huge um, you know increase in what the diner threshold is for, you know, a great meal and, and we understand that. I mean we want there still to continue to be, create value, but the bottom line is shrinking you know, it's it's not getting any, any bigger. So we have to be smart about what we do now in business. Yeah.
0: So let's talk about a few of those um, decisions then. I absolutely agree with you that having, like being kind of the cornerstone of something that's like a real estate development or a, a hotel or something like that is... Uh, deeply helpful and the way to mm-hmm. go forward so can you talk about you know the restaurant you're opening now
2: yeah i mean the project we're working on now it's brian and i's third restaurant together our second mm-hmm. full service meaning we've got our steakhouse with the, with the mgm and then we've got starfish out in la which is a fast casual sandwich shop um with with fish sandwiches but the the deal we're, the project we're working on now we partnered with conrad which is uh, an extension the luxury brand for hilton mm-hmm. um brian and i are doing a restaurant together called estuary which, I mean, Brian can describe the name, the, the nature yeah, of the no. name better than I can. <laughs> yeah, didn't. no,
1: estuary meaning, you know, it's, uh, uh, the Chesapeake Bay is one of the biggest in the world. And so there's a lot of supporting, um, you know, agriculture. The the, the the bay has been, there's this huge resurgence of um, the availability of, you know, really delicious fish and shellfish that's coming from the bay. Because a lot of work that a lot of, you know, f- um, farmers and fishermen have done to make that happen. And so there's... You know, there's a there's a time now I'm I'm seeing that we're starting to help develop and and define mid-Atlantic cuisine. And so estuary is going to be a part of that. And, you know, we we want to bring this this experience to the district. And it's our first restaurant that's going to be in center city together.
0: That's so exciting. And let's talk about the sort of the mission of it, too, because sustainability, you know, I, I think there are so many people who have heard the words about, you know, seafood sustainability mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And it just it, it becomes a wash. Can you talk about the what it actually means to you and how you are implementing it at the restaurant?
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's being first just responsible and paying attention to um And it doesn't require, I mean, we're not the ones who are making those decisions for sure. There's a lot of really smart people out there in this world (laughs) that are helping guide us to make those right choices and how we procure ingredients and, and who we look to for sources and, and, you know, um, but there's also, um, people, you know, like the Rappahannock guys and true Mm -hmm. Chesapeake oyster who are, you know, introducing and, you know, really helping start to clean up the bay and the waterways by bringing shellfish back that, you know, had long been, you know, ripped out of there and also pollution created issues but now the water's getting cleaner and the the opportunities are getting better for us to to really look to them for sources Um, but then also just you know being respectful of um, you know and using people like you know Monterey Bay you know who you know has this you know for those who don't know they have a really great guideline for sustainability in fish and, and knowing which ones are the right buys. And so if you're as a chef, you can use it as a resource to go out there and buy fish, but also having those relationships those direct relationships as a chef is really important. So, you know, you know, at what time of the year um, to buy, you know, the right fish.
0: Yeah. Can you talk about, I, I love the word estuary. Yeah. And uh, if you would explain what that physical body is an
2: estuary, basically it's like where the bay and the stream sort of meet. So, um, and then the ecosystem around that. So, for instance, crabs and mm-hmm. it's not just what's in the water, but it's like what's growing on the land around it and so forth. So it's the entire ecosystem, ecosystem. surrounded yeah. by the bay, basically, is how we're looking at it. Um, and then the Chesapeake Bay watershed being one of the largest estuaries in the country, if not the w- in the world. In the world. Yeah. Um, Brian and I thought it was kind of brilliant to focus on that. Uh, We're not putting ourselves in that box, though, meaning we're definitely going to go outside of that area if and when we have to because it is very difficult to remain Mm hyper-local, but we're definitely going to have hyper-focus on that. Uh, And then, you know, obviously, um, Brian has a lot more experience living in that area than I do because I left 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so for me, uh, you know, my reunion was coming back and doing the steakhouse that we have together, but this is an opportunity for me to come back and really – cook regionally in my home region and so i'm like super excited about that yeah, for sure. and there's
1: no lack of opportunity i mean there's you know from uh northern pennsylvania southern jersey all the way down to north carolina i mean that that really is the defining area and all the way as far west as west virginia i mean that's and we are buying lamb from Shenandoah valley as far south as border springs like oh, Park, springs. <laughs> and so that would be included and you know going um as far north as You know, some really great organic farmers in, in, uh, like, Lancaster area in Pennsylvania. And so there's these huge co-ops that, you know, bring produce all the way down to the district. And, you know, there's – yeah, I mean, there's some travel time there and all of that stuff. But, you know, and there's farms – plenty of farms like right around the district i mean don't get me wrong (laughs) that would be that we'll be looking to but um but there's just an abundance of produce and opportunity there and there's a long growing season that people don't really realize i mean it's almost nine months out of the year and you know there's also there's overwintering of products too you know with you know hoop houses and greenhouses i mean the whole agricultural um sort of model has changed and there's a lot of farmers are adapting it you know gone are the days where you know it's just cash crops that are being grown around our region for example there's a lot of produce farms a lot of market farms that are that are popping up i mean our farmers markets are amazing you know just like they are here in new york the other
2: side of it is you know that we're getting an opportunity to to open a restaurant in a very competitive food city and so i think for a quote reunion for me to come back and to get to work with brian on a project like this we're not just doing it no offense in frederick maryland which brian has established himself and done a great job up there but this is in a very competitive city as it relates to restaurants and hospitality and so we want we want to be in that competition. We want to be a part of this thriving food scene that's happening in Washington, D.C. right now. I got to be a part of L.A., I think, really at the beginning of all that, and now sort of a decade later, I think what's happening in Washington, D.C. is not unlike what happened or has been happening in cities like Los Angeles, Chicago, mm-hmm. um, Portland, DC is becoming a serious food city.
0: It is. I know. Uh, I used to date a guy who lived in DC, and we would go down there mm-hmm. and sort of uh, mourn. Th- there was a lot of steakhouse there yes. at the time, and it was <laughs> really, really great, and uh, we actually really fantastic uh, Chinese food and Ethiopian food that we would mm-hmm. um, get all the time. But otherwise, I wasn't sure sort of what the cuisine was. And when I uh, lived in Maryland during college, I was a broke college student, so didn't really get to have the food of the place. So I can't wait to go back to the region and, and taste the place. So, let's talk about family cuz you know, you both have have said about how, you know, having kids really grounded you and how you became a part of of Charlie how Charlie is family. Family means so many different things in restaurants. You two are flesh and blood family. We talk about that particular dynamic and how you you brought it to work and how that has influenced than how you work with other people.
1: Um certainly, you know, for us it means that there's no there's there's, you know, there's honesty, there's no bullshit yeah. <laughs> involved. Um, you know, especially when it comes to us, you know, creating an experience for a guest. Um and and I think that we also can help, you know, complete thoughts and, you know, there's there's that whole thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, early on in our careers, I mean We also were very competitive growing up as siblings so there was a time and a place where we sort of went off on our own paths this helped you know prove ourselves who we're going to be as individuals but now as we've matured and we've grown together in this business we're we're starting to you know come together more and now you're starting to see that as michael and i are starting to you know it first started i think the first thing we ever did together of course is we wrote a book together and then you know from Mm -hmm. from that came now new restaurant opportunities and now we're working together and collaborating on that and but those those career choices and those pathways we took beforehand we gained you know we gained a lot of different experience and and now bringing that together is just you know has enabled us to to combine now 50 years worth of cooking experience you know as we're moving forward now in this time in that way wow (laughs) yes because you know 25 and 25 and Mm -hmm. you know essentially and so now um you know putting that dynamic together enables us to do more with what we've experienced in our past. And we can trust each other to do that together because we are siblings, we are family. And it enables us to do things more efficiently and faster too.
0: So how well, do you bring? Other not that we're pe-
1: trying to do things. Quick, we understand yeah. what I mean. Like,
0: no, there's there's shorthand uh, with yeah. siblings. I sort of refer to my my sister as the other witness, um, because there's only one person in the world who can sort of verify, like yes, this is how this thing was when we were growing up. Or you know, there's only just mm-hmm. that that one person who has that same set of experiences um, as you do. How do you include other people on your team? In that um, how do you not alienate people when uh, you know you they might see you as one person or
1: well at this time in place where we are right now we've had a lot of people have come through both of our kitchens mm-hmm. individually like for example our chef de cuisine of our new restaurant is gonna be opening um, in DC worked with Michael first at Inc in LA for three to four years and then came with me he had a, a you know a position in between that and then Came down from upstate New York and and were Philly and worked with me at Volt for almost three and a half years. Now he's going to be down in D.C. opening new
2: space. So there's and that's happened. shared a lot of people uh, where they've they worked with me in L.A. and then they came to D.C. or Maryland rather, for that matter, and worked with Brian. Um, this through the state, I mean, the steakhouse when it opened, we had. Mm-hmm probably six employees there in that restaurant that had worked for an extended amount of time in Los Angeles with me and some of them stayed on some of them are still had left there to go work at volt at Brian's restaurant and so we where Brian needed staff if he called me and was like I need a sous chef right now instead of me like being selfish and hanging on to my entire team if I had somebody that was ready to step up and go and I didn't have a position for them it was very easy for me to go over there and say hey uh, listen my brother's looking for a sous chef do you want to go move to Maryland to the East coast? And so for us, I think we had this philosophy of trying to keep them in the family somehow. And so there was an appreciation I think for that. And with that came a loyalty. And I think that word loyalty is one that is really getting lost in our industry because I mean, really it's getting lost in a lot of industry to be honest. And the loyalty (laughs) for me is so important um, that, you know, we we have people that, that want to come back to us even after they've left. And I think there's that philosophy of like, you know, eights higher sevens and sixes and nines higher tens I I don't know where I really fall into that but I I definitely want to be surrounded by people that are going to make me better and help me continue to grow otherwise like why am I doing this you know it's like we we can't just rely on each other but relying on each other has enabled us I think to rely on other people therefore be able to grow in a way that's healthy uh, as opposed to you know sort of the lessons we've learned over the past 10 years.
0: I think it's an incredibly, it's a sign of maturity to be able to trust people that they're going to do a really good job. And you've both mentioned, Charlie, who are some of the other people who have seen you along the way and spotted you out and wanted to help you or corrected you when you were wrong? Who's lifted you up along the way?
2: There's a chef by the name of Peter Timmons. He's since passed away. He was the executive chef of the Greenbrier. Um, When I was there, He's a certified master chef, uh, was actually slated to be one of the coaches for Bocustor a few years ago. Um, and before that uh, was uh, fatally died, gunshot wounds, uh, not sh- still. Was, I'm was. i not going to say why, what, what happened really, but uh, he, um, you know, he said something to me one day when I left, when I was leaving the Greenbrier, he said, one day you're going to wake up and realize you're not the student anymore, you're the teacher. Are you going to be ready for that? And those words, like, I don't want to say haunt because he's no longer here, but those words have stayed with me since he said that to me. Um, and he was one of the most brilliant minds, selfless educators, uh, wasn't in it for the fame or any of that sort of stuff. But they got like he could recite the first 128 pages of Escoffia like he was reading it off the back of his hand. And so it was like people like that um, that were in it because they genuinely were just passionate about their craft. And and I think that that's I think a lot of chefs have chefs like that, that were never in the spotlight that really molded their career because everyone wants to talk about the guys that are like on tv or on the cover of a magazine or have 12 restaurants or whatever we've all been touched by i don't care which chef you're talking about everyone's worked for somebody like that that made a difference down to the guy at the holiday inn that brian and i worked for that yeah. taught us work ethic i mean What's it was a ho-
1: mike allopretti and and mike told me one thing that i'll never forget he said look you know and this was right before he actually left because he ended up leaving before i did and um He said, "Look, you're going to go out there and you're going to work for all of these different chefs, and then one day you're going to put your voice together." And I, I always on on one plate, and then it's going to be Brian Voltaggio, and and I never thought of that until later in my career, and and I've remembered that moment because it's very true. I mean, any experience that you have in, in in the food world, and you know, whether it be through travel or visiting other places, you know, cooking together, you know, you're going to draw on those experiences and and learn from that, and then build that into your repertoire, and, and that's going to help shape you who you are as a cook and a chef. You know, you're going to look back for all those experiences and those influences, and that's going to see you, whether you know it or not, <laughs> you know, it's going to come through on a plate, and um, and that's something that always stuck with me, too, as well.
0: So is that something you consciously do then, the mentorship part of, I mean, uh, people can learn to cook. There are a million br- brilliant cooks out there who can't lead a kitchen necessarily, and it may be not might not be their fault they were not taught well Mm -hmm. how did you learn how to lead is it by watching those is
2: i think you have to realize that you can't do it by yourself and when you get yourself in a situation enough times where you don't have enough help you need to figure out how to correct that and it's not always like people will use the excuse like there's good luck finding help in that city sometimes you need to look at your leadership skills and wonder why you don't have enough good people around you and you need to figure out how to keep people and it's not it's not like back in the day when we were cooking in the beginning it was like we needed to go work for people to get recipes and get information now the information is at their fingertips so now you actually have to be grateful to have people working for you as opposed to back in the day we had to be grateful for getting to work in a place Mm
0: -hmm. yeah no I think there's definitely that then that shift happening
2: definitely for sure
1: and, you know, it's something I think that at, that's that's definitely what changed in, in where we are now in our career is that we now are creating environments and working with our team and enabling them to, to have a voice in, in our kitchens, too, as well, and trusting people that we've been with and are working with and, and you know, cook with and and through them. That's, that's what it means now to be a chef in where we are in our career. And... And that now um, working with Michael enables us to, to, to do more and cover more of the bases too yeah. as well.
0: So I remember when the day of the tattoos, you brought yeah. um one of you brought Graham with you who was yes. one of the chefs. And that really struck me that you wanted him to have this experience to come mm-hmm. and, you know, be part of this whole thing. I think he did not get a tattoo that day. He no he not did not. Planned he had, accordingly.
1: He has, yeah, he has several though. <laughs> so <laughs> he's not shy when it comes to that. Um but yeah, no, and, and Graham has moved on. I mean, he's somebody who you know I thought it was going to be through for a long time, and and but he went on to something you know different in, yeah. in our career, and he's doing really well, and he's down in North Carolina. So
0: it's uh, both of you have had then uh, people who worked with you go on Top Chef or Last Chance mm-hmm. Kitchen or something. So can you talk about using that opportunity to you know you guys had uh, such a platform on on there, and then I believe one of your chefs won three
2: Kevin Malin and Hung
0: oh my goodness so you are a factory of (laughs) yeah yeah
2: we uh i I had the opportunity to to train to have all of those work with us uh in our kitchens and stuff like that and they were all um you know very successful in that competition i don't like to say on that show but in that competition Mm -hmm. and um i mean a lot of people don't know you know prior to that because a lot of times brian and i get labeled as those guys from top chef they don't know what our careers were like leading up to that moment Mm -hmm. and that's just that's, that's the more interesting part. Like, mm-hmm. I remember the day that I went to Jose Andres and I said, I want to go do this TV show. I had just opened Bazaar. We had just gotten a f- uh, four-star review from the LA Times from Irene. We had just gotten nominated for, like, James Beard Best New Restaurant, which Volt, ironically enough, got a nomination the same year. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jose looked at me and said, you're leaving a newborn child in the middle of the street, referring to the restaurant. And that, in that moment, made me realize if i do this i better do a good job at <laughs> yes. it yes but brian and i you know we had a goal we wanted to go out there because you watch food programs like that and no offense to the show but so now i'm talking to the show no offense to that but the competition wasn't there i mean there there's always been a couple of talented chefs on that show and everyone that are on that competition that's one they've all they're all talented but there was also like twelve or thirteen people there that didn't elevate the competition, and so Brian and I, you know, wanted to see if we could help elevate that. And not to sound like you know we'd change the show or anything. I don't mean that. I'm not saying that. But there were a lot of talented people on on that season of that competition who went mm-hmm. off to do great things. And, but also, I mean, you know,
1: I mean, I, I think as I was saying that two brothers would know where they're going to go on and compete in a show. I mean, yes, the contestants aren't supposed to know, you know who they're going to meet in our case
2: I mean it's kind of hard to hide that who's (laughs) that guy yeah yeah, exactly everyone thinks it was so cool it really like fucked with our relationship too it wasn't like an easy thing to go through that together yeah. yeah but
1: you know when we started finding out that this was going to be a possibility I had just opened Volt Volt was seven months old when I decided to leave. And so I worked my entire career in life, you know, to, to, to get to this point where I'm opening up my own restaurant for the first time. And mm-hmm. Michael was, you know, right on the heels of getting ready to do that to himself. And so, like, why, why were we doing this? And yeah. so, um, and yeah, it seemed cool because it was television and all of that stuff. But what we, I think we promised each other is like, if we're, we're one, we're only going to do it if we're each other going to do it. Because we figured, okay, well, you know, I know how good that guy is and he knows mm-hmm. how good I am. And you know, Kevin we're going to try through. to help. <laughs> Push each other to, yeah, to, but we didn't know he was coming up. Like, mm-hmm. that's the thing. You don't know who the other people are. And then we mm-hmm. show up and we're like, holy shit. <laughs> Everybody else here <laughs> that, that knows was a, how to cook, too. <laughs> you know yeah, that I mean? was an like,
2: incredible season. Yeah. But then, I mean, in the first few challenges, we ha- I mean, we cooked for Joël Robichon. We cooked <sighs> for Thomas Keller. We cooked for Daniel <laughs> no we No <cooked> pressure. <laughs> for, we cooked for, uh, gosh, how many other chefs did we cook for? Yeah, I mean, Anthony Bourdain, right. we cooked mm-hmm. for... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Everyone came through our season and we got to we were able, we were put in front of these people and we had to perform. It wasn't just the show Top Chef. This was a cooking competition with a huge audience and part of that audience was some of the most influential chefs in the industry and we were being judged by them.
1: Yeah, I mean right now, I mean think about it. Boku is going on right now. Well, there's a challenge that was
2: We had a Paul, we had a Boku store challenge
1: during oh, our season.
0: Oh yeah. And and it's it's over, by the way
1: oh yeah we know oh um, i didn't yeah i didn't, didn't want to know date saw it. the winner oh yeah no we did we okay. did it was did. denmark yeah it was denmark one denmark one <laughs> yeah um so but the thing is i mean just think about that i mean not only was it a competition show already then they elevated competition by saying okay we're gonna cook like the the this in, in you know intense cooking competition called a Boku d'or and we're gonna have to live up to those levels for a challenge and it was it was challenging and that was the one where joe robert was there and um, you know, Paul, Bocuse. Paul, Paul Bocuse's son was there. Or Jerome Bocuse, sorry. Yeah. And, um, and, and I actually, <laughs> it this guy crazy. edited it out,
2: I actually had a, a 104 fever that day. And I had to sign a waiver saying that I would go on to compete. But for some reason, I guess they didn't think that was necessary in the storyline. But I I basically refused to walk off the show because they said that if I went and got medical attention, that I was automatically eliminated and disqualified from the show or from the competition and I wasn't about, and this was towards the end of the competition. I don't care now that if this, you know, whatever, they didn't tell the story. So I will, I had to sign a waiver, uh, saying that I would compete against, uh, their advice or whatever.
0: Oh my goodness. I mean, the pressure of this is, I mean, working in a kitchen, full stop, so much pressure all the time. Mm-hmm. And then this added layer of having to do it in a performative way. How did you manage the anxiety around that? Or do you, are, are you people who, who get anxious is a, it, how do you, how do you manage the stress?
2: I mean, I feel like production we probably weren't their favorites during the shoot the production of the show, of the competition. Um You know, Brian and I would do things like in the stew room, which is where they, after, you know, you would go into this room and talk about what you had just gone through. And we wouldn't talk. We would just, (laughs) we would tell everyone to put their heads in their laps and go to sleep. And eventually they would send all the cameramen and sound people home. And so we're all there, all eight of us or whatever, with our heads in our laps. And then you just hear them whispering, like, they're not saying anything. What should we do? And the producer, just stay there. And, like, so they would stay there and just, like... film us sitting well, you know, there with our heads in our laps story, but, we're there but cook, eventually they got you know? it yeah. but then if you look at the end result because we were there competing in a cooking competition that was the only season that they won an emmy and whatever played up like it's because there were brothers or this or that or whatever the reason being i think it's because they actually went out whoever did the casting for that season went out and casted a whole bunch of really good chefs mm-hmm. and that's what made the show or that the show part of it better because the competition was good mm-hmm. It was authentic. It wasn't like, I "Wonder who's going to win this week." It was like, "I wonder who's going to win this week." Like yeah. the most seasons, you can pick out the top three immediately, and the rest of them are just there to be on TV. It's like this se- that season, season six. They 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 found chefs. They found a lot of really good chefs.
0: Oh yeah, I got deeply emotionally invested in in mm-hmm. that particular season. It was um, and the one where uh, Stephanie Izard and Richard Blais and Dale mm-hmm. Levitsky sure. were on too. Like they yeah. were all great chefs yes. as well. Really, and truly so, fantastic.
2: You know, and I think that's a good po- like when you. It's a risk to get involved in something like being on TV or cooking on television. But then you look at somebody like Emeril who pioneered in that you know, back in the day or go f- so far back as to like Julia Child, like she was on TV cooking and she's a serious authority when it comes to food. And so for us, um, there we were trying to break that stereotype of like you have to be one or the other. What we saw was an opportunity to do more for ourselves and in our lives and make a, a life Changing, like, have a life-changing moment. Because otherwise, I think food and entertainment coming together made it so that chefs can actually finally start making the money that they deserve to make for the amount of hours that they Mm -hmm. work, for the amount of bullshit they go through, for the amount of holidays that they miss, for the amount of, like... I remember living in New York making $300 a week and not able to pay for food and like starving, like mm-hmm. starving and not only eating at the restaurants when we were going to work. That was it. Cooking like, for a living and starving. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, it, it's such a it's, reality though. Yeah, like, there it are
0: chefs on food stamps, there are yeah. definitely porters and dishwashers and everybody in yeah. the restaurant. Like, that's the great irony that people don't necessarily know. You all are out there feeding people.
2: I think media and entertainment changed our industry and, and gave us something else to work harder towards, even mm-hmm. if it's just a carrot that's dangled and some people never reach it. I think it's motivating and it motivates people to work harder, not unlike a musician, you know, but mm-hmm. or, or an actor or whatever it is, you know, or any medium for that matter. You can get there if you just put your head down and do it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what we, you know, sort of focused on.
0: Yeah, I mean, you have a lot of scrutiny on you because you are so well known because of that. How do you deal with the media?
2: We used to shy away from the scrutiny that came. Like, we would we didn't want to be associated with those guys on Top Chef and blah blah blah. But the reality is, is like that really helped our career a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if like if you have that type of closed minded opinion of food and entertainment sort of colliding, mm-hmm. then you know, what are you doing for the industry to make it better? Yeah, because I think that it helped a lot and it it brought a lot of introverted people out and helped us to be more extroverted and create more mm-hmm. opportunities for ourselves. Therefore passing it off to the guests. And then if you look at the industry as a whole, all these small towns are now taking notice of that and there's a restaurant scene popping up and creating more jobs and all that sort of stuff. That didn't just happen because there was this top 1% of cooking that was going on and the rest of the 99% of the country didn't know that existed or couldn't afford to get to it. Food television brought that into people's Mm -hmm. living room, therefore creating a larger demographic, therefore creating a larger need for it, therefore creating a lot more opportunity for a lot more people.
1: You know, and as soon as we got off of television, we went straight back to our kitchen. That's where we went, Mm -hmm. you know, and and because we respected the opportunity that we had. It was like, okay, well we've done this it was successful for us it worked really well let's go back and let's touch our guests like let's be there for them i
2: disappeared to pasadena and worked at the langham hotel i had a i ran a one-star michelin restaurant out there after top chef but no i didn't no one knew i was on top chef yet because it already filmed right so i went out there to cook i'm like i need we had an agent now at this time because we were coming Mm -hmm. off of tv brian had to go back to vote we went back to cook because we knew what was about to happen. We knew that like the way we were looking at people that were on top chef. And now it's like, you look at everyone's accepting it more now. Like the Stephanie's, even the, the beginning, the, um, uh, Harold. I mean, yeah, we're an amazing guy. Hell of a great chef and a great chef. And so, but, but because of this TV thing, like people are affected in certain ways. And I think Brian and I just wanted to help correct that because Mm -hmm. Mm write that wrong, because it's not, so what? Yeah, we, we did do both. We will do both and we'll continue to do television and we'll continue to open restaurants and we'll continue to show up and work the line. Like that's, that's comes with the territory. Yeah.
1: And we've, you know, we continue to give back too. I mean, I think, you know, after that too, we started getting really heavily involved with like No Kid Hungry as well. You know, I mean, now, Michael, I mean, you go back to like, you know, the the pathway of a cook and a chef, that's also changed now too. I mean, you know, the mental health issues and all of those things evolved and, We now are starting to also think about the healthier side of where we can go with our career. Yeah, I was gonna ask about how do
0: you take care of people who work for you? Because you've seen the bad things that happen. How do you forestall that for the people who work with
1: you? You know, I think we lead by example. You know, and now I think also we have this opportunity because we are working with them. We got involved with Chef Cycle, for example. Oh, I mean, now I mean, good f- five o'clock in the morning, he woke me up so we could go do a Cycle class. So yeah, we get I mean, ready. The, and
2: the past train two days while we're in New York, we're getting yeah. up at five and going to do Soul Cycle, which honestly, two three years ago, when Brian and I are on trips to New York, we're getting back to our hotel like six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> like you walk outside and it's daylight I, when you're I take leaving. I
0: You were not at Soul Cycle. No no, the- no, no, no. But now,
2: like, I mean, I. I want to live longer and, and and change my lifestyle, too.
1: And that's the the switch that got flipped. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. now, I mean, and thinking back, it wasn't that long ago. It was a lot longer ago that we were doing that, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was a year ago. <laughs> okay. So, um, <laughs> Just being honest. But, but yes, you know, having families, having, you know, uh, businesses, having team around mm-hmm. you, you know, and, and understanding that the the wellness, um, there, that there's issues out there being, you know you know being in front of so many people i mean we want to make sure that we are taking care of ourselves now and our we want our staff to learn from that too you know as much as possible and seeing us being involved in something like that and trying to recruit people to be a part of that is also important for us too as well and being examples and hey you can go out there you can you can you know have this you know be in this industry and and go out there and you know take that after service energy and put it towards something else you know which is important yeah. Back to
2: your earlier point, though, with like the I, sorry, I want to touch base on this mm-hmm. the the ridicule thing, and or the the what did you what where did you say scrutiny? Yeah, scrutiny. Yeah, a lot of our restaurant reviews uh, would we we I feel like because we came off of television would start out. I'm not saying it was intentional or anything like that, but a lot of them would start out. I feel like a little bit behind the mar- like we were getting mm-hmm. critiqued on a different level. For instance, like my first Irene Verbilia, who gave me the four stars at. Bazaar gave us the four stars I should say uh Jose's team and myself um gave me uh my review with her at Inc started out with like Voltaggio stands in the open kitchen as the women line up to he's like a carnival barker telling women to step right or some shit like that step right up or whatever and I'm like it wasn't true like I wasn't doing that I was actually in the kitchen like with my head down working but because it was fun to be the first people to tell that story like the obvious that's what he's gonna do the that type of stuff was happening too that was really hard yeah to get through
0: yeah i i wonder if people's people's initial exposure to some of you was it, it's a it's a, it's sort of career interrupted is is top chef because mm-hmm. uh people think like oh that's where they got their start and if really if you're it's meeting you midstream we so. were half
2: into this career that, that was yeah. top chef was 10 years ago We've both been cooking for 25 years, and we both we both were cooking at a certain level, at, at a pretty high level, mm-hmm. before we even set foot on into that competition. And so, um, f- f- yeah, for a lot of that, you know, that created a lot of stuff. A lot of battles, a lot of uphill battles came because of that, too. It wasn't mm-hmm. just easy after Top Chef.
0: So how do you take care of yourself in those moments when um, it's really tough? You've had a service that maybe didn't go your way. You know, there's something online or, you know, whatever it happens to be. What is... Th- how do you stop and course correct what's the good thing you do for yourself?
2: It's funny. I, sorry, Brian, I don't know if no, go. like, I, I started saying to myself, if you can't take the heat, stay in the kitchen. And that's, mm-hmm. um, I, a lot we of times, both do that. you just yeah. sort of bury yourself in your work and you try and forget about it. Because if you, if anyone gets caught up reading shit that people say about them, you can get lost and go down a rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. That's a super dark mm-hmm. place. People have talked mad shit about us. And, thank you for for talking that shit because it made us conscious of what to not be or not let them be right like mm-hmm. for us it was more about like proving that those people are wrong and focusing on what we know is right and if if people if, if we can't convince you that that's what we're doing then you know i don't know what to say but oftentimes you do read a lot of stuff about yourself because you're in the media that's just not true yeah. and honestly that shit fucks you up like it's not it's not like, haha, cool. Somebody wrote something really shitty about me last right. night. You're just like, you have to. There's a certain psychology that comes with that, that it's, it's, it's not easy to get through. Like it's, it sucks. Yeah. But we
1: also, I mean, I mean, fortunately for us, we got each other as a soundboard too. Mm-hmm. Like we can pick up the phone and scream if we need to, you know, yeah. to each other, you know, to kind of like get the, and talk through that, you know, which is great. You know, and that's happened, and you know before, and and also just again, like Michael said, I, I I do the same. You know, just go back to the kitchen and cook more, and just be more focused on what we do and what makes us happy. You know, I mean, hospitality and food and our career is what you know drives us, and you know, we just stay focused on that. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's in any industry, I mean, you're gonna see positive and negatives out there. I mean, that's what it is, and you know, there's a lot of people who are chasing accolades. I think we just, you know, chase. The more the instantaneous sort of gratitude, you know, gratitude or you know that hospitality feeling you get to to, to make somebody else's day better, you know what uh, I mean? Like that's yeah. that's what I think we go back to. Like, yeah, our day was shitty, but if I can make one of my guests' day better, then that's going to also make me feel better about what I'm doing and what I'm doing because that instantaneous sort of gratification you get as a cook and a chef, and, and somebody that's in this restaurant world, like throws all that other stuff out the window. Yeah. You know, it gives back you a to reset. earlier
2: too you know about the relationship you know Brian and I having a family to there's there's been plenty of times to where Brian and I can call each other literally in tears and talk to each other as brothers but seeking professional advice and I think that a lot of we're very fortunate to be able to have that opportunity with each other because it would be weird if I called one of my business partners or one of my chefs bawling trying to figure out what to do about a certain problem that I'm experiencing and vice versa and so Um, For that, I definitely think that we have uh, a pretty amazing situation with each other. And I think that us building these restaurants together and starting to focus more on utilizing our relationship to help build opportunities for each other and ultimately for our families and stuff like that. And then for the people that work with us, um, that's been cool. You know, not a lot of people get to find somebody like that. And we were born into it. So.
0: I'm going to ask you both this because it's sort of for my own edification, because, you know, I run this online group for for chefs who are really coming in with their emotional things. They want to know if you see somebody on your team who is maybe in crisis, headed down a bad road. How do you have that conversation with them where um, you're concerned about their well-being and you want them to, to take a better path?
1: You just sit down and you have that hard conversation face to face. You can just do it. Um, you know, I think there's a responsibility involved. I mean, you look at a kitchen; it, it, it becomes your second family, and it does. And if you care about your team and your staff and everybody who's working with you, then you want to be a part of that. And, and yes, I mean, crisis is one thing, but also it starts with having an open dialogue. I think early on, even like career choices. I mean, I have. I used to have. Sometimes I have some people who come to me and they're like, "Yeah, I've made a decision to go on elsewhere. I, w- I wish you would have had that conversation in a different way." because my experiences, our experiences, you know, with Michael and, and I, it's combined even, can, you know, help give you a lot of guidance and to where you're gonna go next. So that also is many other life experiences. I mean, it might not be ours, but we know somebody out there who's mm-hmm. gone through things. And so, you know, we've, we've come across a lot of people in this world who've had issues. And, and so, you know, I, I think just just not being afraid, you know. Yeah, I mean, I,
2: we, I think we can all agree that we've lost a lot of valuable people, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in our industry. And I think US the industry has that. had a lot to do with the fact you know, losing those people. Um, I, I feel like a lot of chefs are hypocrites, too, though. A lot of people that work in our industry are because it's it's the hospitality industry. And so they're, you know, they're, we're, we get paid as a job to take care of people, yet we have a hard time taking care of each other. So my question is, are you doing it for a paycheck? Or do you genuinely come from a place of hospitality? And, and, like, chefs talk shit about each other constantly. Like, there's that part of it. Like, we're not – it's not – like, you're in the hospitality industry. Like, we're not – like, there's no turf wars happening here or anything like that. (laughs) Like, why why talk shit about each other and then go out and try and say that you're preaching hospitality and stuff like that? And I think that there's a lot of shit talking in our industry. There's a lot of trash talking. There's a lot of, that guy took my dish or this person did that or whatever. It's like – who cares? Like, it doesn't. In the end, it doesn't matter. We're all gonna end up in the same place.
0: Mm-hmm. Everybody ends up working for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> what um, What is giving you the most hope about the industry right now?
1: Um, most
2: hope. I mean, for me, I feel like. the economics definitely is, is something that needs to be looked at. And I think that because there are opportunities, I'm sorry, like the one that we're working on with Conrad, um, you know, I hope, I hope that there's more opportunities like that for more people. And I hope that Mm -hmm. more people, because just because a restaurant fails doesn't mean that the chef wasn't good. And I, Mm -hmm. I hope that people start, uh, you know, just writing efforts and recognizing cooks for cooks and not necessarily just, um, you know, looking on how they can make somebody a brand. I think that that there's a lot of really talented people out there that just really don't get to experience some of the things that Brian and I have gotten to experience. And um, you I
1: get be able to surround yourself by experts in each facet of a restaurant. It's not just cooking and service and, and beverage. It's more than
2: that. I it like takes these, an army to these, make it these happen. These sort of yeah, and these startups that are that are providing infrastructure and stuff like that. People that find find a chef that you know is really good and help him start up his own restaurant and so her. her yeah him or her yeah absolutely right thank you for that and um and help help provide them with the infrastructure that they need to be successful because at the end of the day like i still remember saying i wanted to be a chef and and my father looking at me and go saying i thought you'd end up in the food service industry
1: and I, th- I think, you know, hope, I mean, I, I, you know, again, too, on the other side of it, I mean, we we're talking about, you know, people in crisis in this industry and all of that stuff. I, I still think that now there's, there's an example of a, like a healthy lifestyle, too, that's coming out of this on the other side of it. And I hope that we continue to go down that pathway because, you know, our industry has always been known for like, you know, the boozing, you know, and all of that stuff in the late nights. And I think now it's been replaced with getting up early and mm-hmm. going out and being healthy and, 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 and going and experiencing other things than outside of your kitchen. If you're just in your kitchen and you're just in that bar, you're not going to see more of what is out there that's going to help influence who you are as a cook and a chef. And in, you know, changing that lifestyle, I think there's a lot of hope for a lot of people out there. You know to go and do that
0: i think this is a i think the industry is really lucky to have your combined 50 years of experience so thank you for that Oof. and yeah, we've got nice we've got five questions okay um and whoever wants to answer first they're pretty uh want to see where you take these um first what's your comfort food
1: comfort food um I, you know i used to say cold pizza at one time i've switched to grilled cheese I have a thing for grilled cheese now, but making it home for myself. And maybe it's because I, my kids also like it too. And it's fun. Like, and I love like the textures of it. And, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's a simple sandwich and it's
2: just. Can it's I say good. a brand? Sure. I, I, I postmates Pinkberry to my house on a regular basis. I have, I have such a thing for I've Pinkberry. I've experienced that too.
0: The dairy free <laughs> one, the coconut one, cause I can't do dairy. I love
2: Pinkberry. I'm not even ashamed to say it. Yeah.
1: I will say I like when Michael's looking for his comfort food when I fly out to L.A. and I stay at his house because he orders pink berry.
2: I, <laughs> I accidentally so. ordered so. 20 of them by accident one night because I put a zero next to the two, and they just showed up, and I was just like, well. Oh, well.
0: What's, what toppings do you get?
2: Uh, the original I get with Captain Crunch and blueberries or the chocolate hazelnut with the milk chocolate crunch. Those are my two go-tos. You're ah, welcome, everyone.
0: <laughs> I do Almond and, uh, and pineapple on the coconut one. Good times. Um, what is the last meal that you had that made you emotional?
2: Yeah, it is tough. Um, I was – I was, I don't remember the name of it. I was recently actually just in Cabo um, and had been drinking and partying and hanging out with my friends and stuff like that. It was New Year's, and then my girlfriend and I just – we wanted to get away from all that, and we took bicycles and rode into town, and we found this – I think it even said Mezcal in the name of the place, and I could look it up on my phone. But um, we were just so comfortable sitting there drinking Mezcal – being educated on what we were drinking and then just eating tacos for hours and I think it just reminded me of how like how fun it can be to go out and why restaurants are so important because it gives you an opportunity to really just escape from everything else and vacation can be as simple as just going out to dinner and I think oftentimes we feel like vacation has to be leaving our cities I think that you can go to a restaurant and be on vacation and so for me in that moment even if it was just an hour and a half or 2 hours and I was on vacation because i was in cabo and i was mm-hmm. with my lady but you know her and i just having that time together without anything else uh i think is that's what restaurants are for yeah
0: and you
1: mine um i mean i guess it's tough i mean i've i've had many great meals that you know i'd say one time i i got to travel together, I mean, mine was traveling too. We went to Puerto Rico and my wife and I um, had our, renewed our vows after 10 years. And we had this, Jose Andres was at Mi in Puerto Rico, the Ritz Carlton and Dorado Beach. And they went well over and above any expectation I ever had. You know, After we had that ceremony and my son actually you know, read the vows and it was amazing experience. We had this really simply catered meal in, in our room. And their staff was so attentive and everybody was like, and they did these special things for my kids. And it was just like this family meal that we had together. It was around such a special thing that was just the five of us. And it was, it was the most amazing experience I think I've had with my family other than him with food. And, and so that's one that kind of sticks in my head and it was, it was, it was kind of like over the top, you know, it was like just the attention to detail and the luxury and everything that went into it, just like it made it emotional. I think you know because they didn't. They spared no expense. I mean, there was. It it was yeah. That's what's so cool
2: about what we do, though, is we actually have the power or the opportunity to get to provide that for other people too. And like, there's just something cool about the fact that people celebrate their engagements with us. They have their engagements with us. They they chefs a lot of times. You know, we're looked at as. Just cooks, but we're doctors. I mean, we're we're you know we have to deal with people's food allergies. In some cases, you have people's lives in your hands. We're psychologists. We're accountants. We're all these different. Yeah. And everyone says, oh, I got so many different things I got to do for my staff or my restaurant. There's a lot that we do for the guests too. Um, down to you know, to, to a couple came into Inc one night and I'll I'll never forget this. It was raining. And uh, they weren't happy and they got up and left the restaurant. And I saw this from the past and I chased them outside into the rain as they were getting into their minivan and I saw a car seat in the back. I'm like, oh, I know it's a car seat. Are you guys, they're like, we're parents, we're school teachers. We've been saving up all year to come eat here. And when we got here, we felt like we weren't as important as all the like celebrities or fancy people that were eating in the restaurant. I'm like, come inside and like have dinner for free. And then they kept saving up their money and coming back and eating in the restaurant. And like, if that type of stuff like doesn't, warm your heart it's like why are you doing this and you're in the wrong business
0: if it yeah. doesn't oh my gosh what is the last meal that someone cooked for you in their home I know people are scared to cook for chefs so what what if people what's the last time um, somebody cooked for you well
1: I um, personally my my parents my mother moved to you know our, our, our parents moved your to mother. my yeah our, our mother our, our, mother, our <laughs> parents moved, moved to um, moved to Maryland and they now live with me on my property you know where they have like a little bungalow sort of house there and i get to have mom food again so that's kind of fun you know that's it's really cool and you know there's dishes that you know she did when we were growing up and michael comes home you know obviously maryland's be spending a lot more time now so he's going to also be able to get to experience more of that soon too Excellent. it's been a long time but i have to say around christmas there's this lasagna that our stepfather makes it's amazing it takes him like four days to prepare it and it's like huge and so he did it uh this year for new year's day and it'd been a while it'd been like five years since i've had it and it was just like i mean he took me back five years like in a moment with that first bite it was so cool
2: lovely like that ratatouille moment (laughs) yeah it was was really it's anything that mom, mom makes so you know she's she's right there they they're they're not you know she's she's just an amazing person. And like when mm. I do go back to visit Brian and now I'm going back to visit my mom, he's got like the the farm situation. I'm like the visitor. I'm like the crazy Uncle Mike from <laughs> California to his kids.
1: Yeah, he gets shot with like Nerf guns. <laughs> but, you know,
2: even last time I was there, mom made a, a breakfast casserole that she yeah. just kind of put yeah, out yeah. on the counter and it was it was effortless and natural and it was fun. And but it's I- special because it's yeah. mom.
0: Um, can she adopt me? <laughs> 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 Happily be her sister. Um, what living musician would you want to cook for and what would you make for them
2: Hmm. go for it no i'll let you answer that i mean i mean i cook for a lot of living musicians yeah, exactly lot, he does I mean, already but yeah. who's the
0: one who you have who's like your your grail i
2: don't know it's tough i think i you know i i, I grew have up
1: listening p- pearl jam a lot so i think i'd like cook for eddie better
2: you know, what would you make him?
1: Um, I'm not sure because I don't know what he likes. <laughs> I don't know what his diet is. You know, But, um, I mean, that's the thing, though, too. I think it would be more of like one of those things that you want to listen to what, you know, your guests, mm-hmm. you know, needs and wants are and, and help create that experience for them. I mean, I think it's true for anybody. I mean, I, I don't think I would ever dictate a menu if I had the opportunity to cook for somebody that I really wanted to cook for.
0: Yeah.
2: I just can't answer it. <laughs> I, I, li- I like too many different types of music to, to zero. Yeah, no it's one. a thing too. I it's mean, a it's tough hard. question yeah. for
0: everybody I've asked it uh, of thus far has taken a sec for that. Yeah.
2: I mean I've had you know everyone from like Jay Z and Beyonce together oh. in the restaurant to uh, the list goes on and on. Like, and I can talk about it now because it's years and years and years ago. I never would say anything about something that people didn't know about. But I've, I mean. The fact that, like, last year I got to set a Guinness Book of World Records with Snoop Dogg at Bottle Rock. So we, um, him, myself, and Warren G. were on stage together up in Napa Valley at, at Bottle Rock, which is a music and food festival. And, like, William Sonoma called and the festival called. They're like, what do you want to do this year? I'm like, what if we set a Guinness Book of World Records? And they were like, okay, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, Snoop Dogg's in the lineup. Can we make that happen? And his people were super cool about it. Warren G.'s people were super cool about it. And last year I got to stand. But then, like, the year before that, Brian and I, jumped around on grapes with everlast behind us and did a demo with grape juice year before that i got to fried chicken with flavor flav like food and music together like for me we need to do more of that and i think a lot of these music festivals and not to get off topic too much but kids are wanting and doing less drugs and less alcohol and there's more expectation for an experience and so i think food's very much being a part of that and i think in a lot of cases creating um healthier experiences for people as opposed to like putting on a bunch of EDM music, turning the lights and crazy colors and hoping everyone drops a bunch of drugs. Yeah.
0: Last question. You have five uninterrupted minutes for self care. What do you do with those five minutes? Nobody's you're maybe in the walk in, you're maybe somewhere, but nobody's going to bug you for five minutes,
1: uh, five minutes um, at work or uh, anywhere, anywhere. Um, I don't ride my bike. I mean, I like to. I mean, but I need more than five minutes for that. I mean, I don't know. Put my phone down. I could put my phone down for five minutes for sure.
2: Yeah, just turn off, turn it, turn it all off. Not, not just put your phone down, but put just the same way you push that off button on your phone. Just close your eyes and not think about anything because we're constantly like, what about this? What about the restaurant? What about the family? What about the like? It's, it's just nonstop. Um, sometimes it's nice to just like bury your face in a pillow and just hold it and just chill
0: yeah thank you both so much for coming on here appreciate your time and i i know you have to fly out um good luck getting through the storm
1: thank you so much thank you